It's super good to be with you guys today. I'm excited to bring a word. Uh, it's an honor and privilege. You guys are family, uh, friends. It's always uh, just very comfortable being able to, uh, to be in front of you guys because I know you guys are family. I know you guys love me and I love you guys. And so, yeah, we're getting into a message today. And as Pastor Ross was saying, we just... Uh, just finished up Thanksgiving, and we're, we're looking forward to the, the Advent season, right? Looking forward to Christ coming uh, into this world. And, and uh, the main reason that he came was to, to bring the dead to life right? To, to raise the dead. And so um, with that, we're going to be going to John chapter 11. And I know Pastor Ross was mentioning, um, and I, I was actually looking up uh, this last week, there's a study that talks about just over the holiday seasons, Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, m- many of us are very excited and, and um, you know, encouraged, but, but really a lot of us too are, are, are going through some hard things. I think the statistic was like 75% uh, experienced loneliness, uh, depression, sadness, confusion, all of these kinds of things uh, during the season. So I, I thought, what better than go to John chapter 11 and uh, have, have God bring some life into our hearts. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. So Heavenly Father, God, we, um, we look to you this morning uh, for words of life. God, we look to you t- this morning to, uh, to come and to speak to our hearts, God. And we're here expecting to hear from you, God. We ask that your spirit would move amongst us, God. Um, and so, yes, speak to us through your word, God. May you uh, impact us in a mighty ways, God, that we would leave here uh, different, that we would leave here changed, God, that we would leave here with a better glimpse, God, of who you are and what you've done for us, God, that, may we, that we may walk in power and truth and uh, understanding in Jesus' name, amen. God is too good to be unkind, and too wise to be mistaken. So when I can't trace his hand, I must trust his heart. This is a quote from C.H. Spurgeon that spoke powerfully to my heart in a season of, of confusion, of a season of doubt, of a season of despair. I felt like uh, there was a time where I felt like I was kind of limping along in my faith. I knew God loved me, but there was things that I was experiencing in life that confused me because the circumstances of my life was hard to uh, reconcile with God's love for me. There was, there was confusion. And, and this quote came and hit me and it was like medicine to my soul. And as I was going through uh, this process, John chapter 11 hit and God spoke words of life to me. And that's what I'm hoping that he'll do today as well. And so we'll break up. We're, we're just going to step through this passage. We're not going to hit every single verse. This is, a, this is a big chapter, but we're going to step through this morning and pray that God would speak to you. And we're going to break it up like this. In the beginning, we're going to talk about when God's love doesn't look like love. And then we're going to talk about when belief is limping along. And then we're going to talk what happens when Jesus calls into the tomb. When love doesn't look like love, when believe is limping along, and when Jesus calls into the tomb. And so John chapter 11, just quick context here. Uh, This is nearing the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Earlier in John chapter eight, um, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in the vicinity of where he's later going to be crucified. He claims to be deity. He has this altercation with the Pharisees. They try to kill him. He slips away and he escapes to the countryside where fruitful ministry is happening. People are coming to believe. Miracles are happening. And he's experiencing just just life out out in the country about a day's journey from where they're at. 
that. And um, this ultimately is where Jesus is whenever this story unfolds. And so we look to verses one through six, very famous story. Many of you guys know it, but let's see what God says to us here. It says this, when love doesn't look like love, verse one says, now when a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, and it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Right, so just to set the stage, who is, who is this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? We learned that they're siblings. We learned that uh, in other parts of the Bible that Jesus knew them, and we're gonna see that Jesus loved them deeply. Right, we, you guys remember the story of Mary and Martha. Mary liked to sit at Jesus' feet and listen. Right, Martha was busy cooking, cleaning, complaining, telling, telling Jesus what to do. Right? There, there was a lot of things, but, but Jesus grew close to this family because anytime he was in the vicinity, he would stop by. And uh, who wouldn't want to stop by, right? A good friend, somebody to, 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 that, w- that likes to listen, right? Someone that likes to cook. I would be friends uh, with them as well. I would be friends with them as well. And we learned Lazarus here, we learned that he is sick. And um, we're going to see here that this isn't just a, a common cold, this isn't just a, a, a flu. Lazarus is going to be on his deathbed. And we learn this because the sisters are worried. They're panicked and they're going to send a messenger to go and get Jesus. We see that in verse three. Therefore, when the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said this, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I want to pause right there. Again, it's emphasized that Jesus deeply loved these two. Jesus deeply loved Lazarus. Lazarus grows sick. It's not not normal. He's in critical condition. Mary and Martha say, quick, like Jesus loves us. He's our friend. He knows us. He's healed many people before. Let's go to the great physician. We'll call on the great physician and surely he's going to come and help. Surely he's going to come to our rescue. Surely there'll be a miraculous. He loves Lazarus. And he says this, right? So the messenger gets to the countryside. Jesus is probably teaching as he usually is doing. And the messenger comes and says, hey, Mary and Martha say that the one that you love, Lazarus, he's sick. And Jesus' response is one that doesn't usually sit well with us. He says the sickness is not going to lead to death, but the sickness is going to be for the glory of God. And so here we already see this, this idea that there's hard things that happen in life that ultimately result in God's glory. There's a sickness that leads to God's glory. There's pain that leads to God's glory. And it's not that God's glory is in the sickness or that God's glory is in death or that God's glory in these things, but through these things, God is going to be glorified. And so up until this point, I understand even, even that hard thing to understand, like sickness leading to glory, that, that's hard for us. But even, even up until this point, I get it. This next verse, when I first read it, was the one that kind of took me back. And it says this, verse five says, now Jesus loved Martha, he loved her sister, and he loved Lazarus. This was a deep love. And then verse six says, so, which could also say, therefore, because of his love for them, It says, therefore, when he heard he was sick, we would expect this to read, 
he immediately dropped everything. He told, he told Peter, hey, take over, start teaching a little bit, and I'm going to go and save our friends, right? That's what we would expect it to say. That's what we would expect God's love to look like. We would expect that, but instead it says when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place that he was. He doesn't say the reason was because he was doing fruitful ministry. He doesn't say the reason is because the people there needed him. The reason that he said he waited two more days is because he loved them. When God's love doesn't look like love. When God's love doesn't look like love. This is a, this is a hard thing for us to grasp because our expectations of what God's love should look like oftentimes is different than what we experience and I want us to know something as we read the story, we're gonna see that in the delay, in Jesus waiting, that there was a purpose in that. He wasn't doing it to be malicious, but there was, a, there was a purpose in the delay. And that somehow God's love was gonna be displayed differently. He thought that it was going to be better and more loving somehow to put Lazarus through death and put Martha and Mary through grief than for him to come and save the day there in that moment. And so there in the delay, there is a purpose. And we're gonna learn that purpose here. We're gonna learn that purpose. When love doesn't look like love, God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. So when I can't trace his hand, I must trust his heart. I wanna tell you something, church. Don't ever let your circumstances dictate or be a barometer for God's love for you. If you let your circumstances, or if you say, if God did this, then that means he loves me, we're gonna have a, have a broken faith. Look back 2,000 years ago to the cross. Let that love, let that be the barometer that, that teaches us God's love. The things that we experienced isn't a measure. That's not a weight that's gonna measure God's love for us. Look back to the cross. Look what he's done 2,000 years ago to save us, to bring us into his family. The son of God took on flesh and he shed his blood for you and for I. When times are confused and when love doesn't look like love, let us look back to the cross because at the cross, God demonstrated his love while we were yet sinners. Romans chapter five says he died for us while we were rebelling against him, while we were enemies of him. He sent his son to that cross to die for us. Let God's cross be the barometer of love for us. The two days, what was happening in these two days? Mary and Martha, they see their brother, Lazarus, is sick. He's in critical condition. Quick, go get Jesus. They're expecting Jesus to come. They're seeing, here's the thing, you guys. It's easy for us to read this story and, and read it backwards, but hindsight, right, is 2020. We all know the story. We all know the end, but the sisters in the moment, they did not know the end of the story. They didn't know what Jesus was gonna do. And so they're experiencing these things real time. And so they sent the messenger anytime expecting Jesus to be running back with the messenger or even expecting Jesus to do the miraculous as he's done before, heal from a distance maybe. They expect Lazarus to start incline, or increasing in health, but instead he starts decreasing. Right, and, and let, let, let us picture this. We don't have to be you know, historians right, in, in Jewish culture to know there was no electricity. There was no ICU units, right? Lazarus was dying and, 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 and that's a painful thing to watch. That's a painful thing to experience. The sisters see this and all the while they're wondering, where is Jesus? 
right? But God had a plan and there's a glory that's gonna come through the pain and God is gonna do something through that. And so we're gonna get into that part here in a second. I wanted to mention one other thing too, the whole idea of our circumstances not dictating God's love for us. Think of about the people throughout history that God loved deeply. We know that God loved them deeply. Look at the apostle Paul. If circumstances dictated Paul's or God's love for Paul, then we would think that God hated Paul. You read, you read 2 Corinthians chapter 13, you read the list of things that Paul went through, man. He was, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he was despised by his own people. He had a, a hard, hard life, yet God loved him. And he knew that the love wasn't based on his circumstances, but the love was based on how much God revealed himself to him. And he understood that. Philippians 3.10 says, my goal, my aim in life is to know God and to know the power of his resurrection and even to participate in the suffering. Sometimes those things go hand in hand. Jesus said this, John 17, verse three. Now this is eternal life. This is life that they may know you and the one whom you have sent. That's what true life is. It's not about comfort. It's not about things going the way that we want to go. It's not all about fun, right? I'm a youth pastor. I love to have all kinds of fun. I talk to my daughter about this, but fun is not the purpose of our life. The purpose of our life is to know God and in knowing God, we'll have some fun along the way, but we'll experience the life that's truly life. So that's what happens when love doesn't feel like love. God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken. When I can't trace his hand, I'm gonna trust his heart. I'm gonna trust in the character of God. I'm gonna go back to what he did on the cross and let that be a barometer of his love for me and my present pain and circumstances. Moving on, I'm just gonna summarize verse seven um, and, and on a little bit here. Jesus essentially tells his disciples, hey, we're going back to Judea. That's the place uh, where Lazarus is in that area. We're going back to Judea, right? And the, the disciples are like, hey, remember just a few chapters ago, everyone, you know, people tried killing you. You really want to go back there? And Jesus has this metaphor where he essentially says, right, there's more time in my life. The clock on my time is not up. And while there's time on the clock, I'm going to continue to do good. I'm going to continue to bring light to situations. And one of those things is our buddy Lazarus is asleep and we're going to go wake him up. And this should be encouraging to us. The disciples are always slow in understanding. They're like, well, if he's sleeping, that's a good thing, right? They said he was sick. He's sleeping. He's going to get better. And then Jesus says, and then Jesus says, uh, he says this, um, he says, Lazarus, plain and simple, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. He says this, another strange thing. I was glad. I read this to my daughter, Audrey, and she was like scratching her head. She's like, that doesn't sound like Jesus, daddy. That doesn't sound like Jesus. I was like, I know he was, can you believe Jesus didn't go right away to help the person? He was like, and she said this, I think he had another plan. I think he had another plan. Out of the mouth of babes, let our hearts get that as well. We're gonna jump down to verse 14 and we're gonna move on from when love doesn't look like love to belief that is limping along. Belief that's limping along. Verse 17 says this. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. 
And so right away, we see here that when Jesus came, Lazarus was already in the tomb four days. And this is significant um, for this reason. According to Jewish tradition, Jewish mysticism, people believed that when somebody died, that their spirit would, would kind of be hovering around the body, would be present for three more days. That if somebody um, you know, could possibly come back to life after three days, it could have been left up to superstition. It could have been left up to uh, some strange thinking. But Jesus waited those two more days because he wanted to expel any possible reason, any possible doubt that, the, that what he was doing was no fluke. It was no... Uh, nothing, nothing that you can explain aside from the supernatural power of Jesus working, right? And we see the same idea kind of uh, in the Old Testament, Elijah, uh, Elijah, right? First Kings chapter 19, they have this big showdown between the gods of Baal and the one true God. And they, they get the altar, right? They get the wood, they get the sacrifice ready. And they say, let's have a showdown. We're gonna call down hev- fire from heaven. And whoever, whoever's, Whoever's God consumes the, the sacrifice, the altar with fire um, is gonna be the one true God. And remember what Elijah does? He, he, he just gets the water, starts dousing the wood and water, right? He didn't want anyone to think that there was any other possibility besides the work of God, that God was gonna do something supernatural. And so it's the same thing here. The same thing is going on right here. Jesus wants everyone without a shadow of a doubt to know that there's a supernatural thing that's gonna be happening. And so four days he waits, or, or, or he's been dead. He'd been in the tomb for four days. And we're gonna see Mary and Martha. I don't know if you guys can relate to them, but they're, they're, they're hurting. Their, their belief is, is bending. Their belief is breaking. Their, their faith is fracturing a little bit. They're confused by the way that God has moved. They just watched their brother deteriorate, right, and die. And they experience all of this. And they're wondering all the while, where is Jesus? And now all of a sudden they hear where Jesus is and Martha, the strong personality that she is, she runs, she's like, I'm gonna go meet Jesus and Mary, right? The one that's a little bit more passive, the one that's a little bit more quiet, she stays at home, they're both hurt. They're both experiencing deep pain and grief. I don't know if they're angry at the time, I don't know if they're numb. There's parts inside of them that, that their brother's dead, but parts inside of them that maybe themselves deep in their soul that's, that's dead. And, and so they're limping along, they're, they're struggling. And we see this, this is absolutely amazing. Martha limping, <laughs> inside she's limping outward, she's running, sprinting to meet Jesus. And then verse 21, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, look what she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And that's, that's, that's a, ve- that's, a, that's a veiled attack on, on God's character. I know that you're powerful enough. I've seen your power, but I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding why you wouldn't have been here. I'm having a hard time understanding your love. If you would have been here, he would not have died. And look at the first place she goes. She goes to her past. She goes to the past. If you would have been here. And that's an amazing thing through this story. I hope for you guys, there's things in our past that, that, that cause us hurt. There's things in our past that cause us grief, lost loved ones, familial strain, sicknesses, brokenness, not understanding what, what God is doing. And oftentimes we, we tend to go back to the past and we tend to live from that place. And I want you to know what Jesus is going to do. And she says these words, she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And I think, 
I don't know for sure, but I think that she's not really, I think she believes this in her mind, but I don't know how much she believes this in her heart. And I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, to slam her because what she's going through is extremely hard, but we're going to learn later in verse 38, 39. She doesn't really believe this, at least with any experiential knowledge, any, anything that's life giving. I think this is something that all oftentimes when we're going through things, we just say, right? Yeah. Like God is good. And even though it's true and there's nothing wrong in that statement, we don't really believe that it's a hard time for us to really know that, right? God is good or, you know, God will work all things out, you know, and there's a, there's a disconnect between our mind and our heart based on the circumstances that are going on. And so he says this, he brings her, he brings her to this place. He says, I know, oh, look what Jesus says. He says this after she says this, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day and pause there. Jesus says, I'm, I'm, Jesus wasn't talking about the future. He was talking about today. He wasn't talking about a distant event in the future. He was th- talking about something that he was doing today. And though Martha was, was sparred on with her eschatology, she was sparred on with everything that Jesus had spoken about resurrection. She's, she'd read the passages, um, in Job, and I think I have them up there. She read the passage in Job that talked about resurrection. He says this, the oldest book in the Bible, I know that my redeemer lives that in, that in the last day he will stand on this earth and that after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. And then John chapter five, Jesus speaking early, he says, do not marvel at this for the hours come in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and they will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. She is spot on. There is going to be a resurrection in the future. Everybody who's ever lived, their bodies will be resurrected. Those who have trusted in Jesus resurrected to eternal life. Those who's, those who have who've not trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins to condemnation. But Jesus wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the present moment. Let's see what he says. Let's see what he says. He says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see where Martha was at? And I want you guys to notice and really take in where Jesus points her and where he's pointing all of us today. If we have things in our past that need to kind of be unraveled and if there's things in the future, right? That there's this hope in the future, but it's this distant event, right? That's hard to bring hope to the present circumstance that I'm in. He says this, where does he point them? To himself. I am the resurrection and I am the life. In the midst of grief, he points them to their greatest need, himself. Martha, you're talking about a, diff- a distant event. I'm talking about myself, a person. Some of you guys have this hope that's way in the future. Jesus wants to this morning bring hope to your limping faith, your bending faith. He wants to bring hope to that faith this morning. He wants to speak life to that faith. Man, Christ is our great champion. He brings hope to a distant doctrine and he brings a present reality in the living person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's unable to untangle the past. And I imagine that, you know, how in those movies with the moon that's really far away and they, they lasso the moon and they, they bring it in closer. 
right? Martha's looking through the telescope the wrong way. She's viewing Christ, she's seeing Christ, she's viewing the, the resurrection, but she's looking at it. You ever look at the, the telescope with the, the wide end to your face? The object is a lot farther in than, it, than it's intended to be. And that's what she's doing. I wanna say a couple other things. Jesus is pointing them to their greatest need, not only to untangle the past and not only to bring that hope of the future to the present reality, but he's also saying, I'm Lazarus's greatest need and I'm your greatest need. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he will yet live. Lazarus is in the tomb. Lazarus is in the grave. At this moment, I am Lazarus's greatest need. I am the answer. And then to the two sisters, you guys are grieving. You're living this life. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's his question. That's his question to us. Do we believe? Do we trust God at his word? I want to point a couple other things out that just stood out to me um, through this. Here's the, one of the things, a quote by, also by Spurgeon. It says this, death cannot kill a believer. It could only usher him into a freer form of life. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And it's ushering us into a life of freedom, a life of, uh, a life of joy, a life of being with our maker. It's an amazing thing. And I wa- also want to um, look to the invitation that Jesus extends there. He says, whoever whosoever. A lot of people say that Christianity is a, is a, is a narrow religion. It's a, it's an exclusive religion, but the whosoever, the invitation, whosoever would believe shall not die. The invitation is going to whosoever. If my daughter, Audrey had a birthday party and I asked her who she wanted to invite. And she said, whoever dad, I want to, I want to invite anyone who wants to come. You wouldn't look at my daughter and, you know, stick your nose up and be like, she's so exclusive and who she's, but no, the invitation is to every, for everyone to come. The only, no, the, the, the thing that people get mad about is, is that there's only one way to enter the party. And that's through the front door and that door is Jesus Christ because all of the other doors are broken. All of the other doors are broken because none of the other doors can raise dead things to life. None of the other doors can forgive us our sins. None of the other doors have that life, right? So you have to come through the front door. All the invitation Jesus calls today to come to him, but he's the only way. He's the door. All sinners, shapes, sizes, heights, sizes, that door is big enough for everyone to come through. God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. When I can't trace his hand, I must trust his heart. So when belief is bending, when belief is breaking, when faith is fractured, when pain from the past has twisted us up, the future hope seems so far away, let us look to the person of Jesus Christ. He's the answer to all of these things. And that's where he points everybody to. Now, you guys, we're gonna finish up on our final point. Um, I'm gonna just summarize again. I'm just gonna summarize again here. We finished up. Jesus saying, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's to come into the world. And then essentially from there, we hear the story, the the story goes on where Martha runs back and she gets her sister, Mary, Mary, Jesus is here. He wants to speak to you. And I'm, I'm gonna skip over this part, not because it's not important, but there's a lot of similarities. She's broken. She says the same thing. Jesus, if you were here, if you were only here, my brother would still be alive. 
And next, so next, that's essentially what happens through verse 32. We're gonna hop into verse 33 and we're gonna take a look at what happens when Jesus speaks into the tomb. Verse 33 through 37 says this, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. He groaned in the spirit and he was troubled and Jesus wept and the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And so I'm gonna look at the person who's about to speak into the tomb. I wanna look at Jesus. I wanna look at what he's like. He is God in the flesh. John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Our God took on flesh and he lived among us. He, he, he experienced the things that we experience. You see the Greeks at the time would, who dominated this world at the time, their gods were known as apathion. They were apathions is what they called their gods. And this is where uh, we get our word apathetic. And their view of God was that, he, of, of their gods was that their gods would not feel, their gods did not experience pain. They surely did not experience emotion but those are man-made demonic gods, the one true God. He feels things. He, he's emotional. We're gonna see here, he sees the situation. He sees the pain. He sees all of this destruction, all of this havoc. He comes into the middle of a super dark situation. G, uh, Mary is weeping. Jesus comes, he sees her weeping. Everybody's there. There's a huge spectacle. People from all over the place are coming there to weep and to mourn uh, with the sisters as they lost their loved one. And he sees this and he says, it says he groaned in the spirit and this, um, and it says he was troubled. He groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. And this isn't like, this isn't an easy emotion for us to explain. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, certain ex exactly what he was feeling or what he was experiencing or what caused this, this, this welling up of emotion. The word, the word is, is uh, there's a, a, a nuance of agitated. There's a nuance of, uh, of pain. He's weeping. And so he sees this destruction. He sees the weeping and our God sympathizes, he feels. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. And so here's the situation, one that he deeply loves, that he deeply and relationally loves as God and as a human, he is, he is in the grave and he sees the destruction, the pain that that's causing. And this is stirring up, I imagine, emotions in Jesus Christ. And he sees, he sees other things as well. He sees this un, unbelief that's going on all around him. We see this at the end. He's like, couldn't the man who have opened blind eyes, couldn't have he erased his friend? And he's being misunderstood a little bit. There's all of these things that are going on. Maybe he's looking down the corridors of time and he's seeing all of the destruction that sin has caused since Adam and Eve first were deceived by that serpent. Maybe he's looking down the corridors of time and he's seeing all of the destruction, all of the pain, all of the grief, all of the sadness, all of the brokenness that sin has caused throughout history. We think of the destruction, we think of what happened in Nazi Germany, we think of Pol Pot, we think of Genghis Khan, we think of all of this death and destruction, we think of the diseases that have, have wiped through this world, we think of familial strain and broken relationships and death and loss and all of these things are because of this sin. And maybe that's what's 
rolling in, ro- uh, roaring up inside of him. Holy waters that are pure, that's being stirred. Maybe it's the unbelief that's going on all around him for he came to save his own, but his own rejected him. Maybe all of these things are, are going on and taking a play and him feeling these emotions. And we see here the shortest Bible verse in the whole world. Jesus wept, but one of the most full. That our God shed tears over the pain and what was going on. The Jews said, see how he loved them. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? And I want to see, look at what Jesus said. In the midst of this emotion, we're getting to the pinnacle, the climax of the story. Jesus says, where have you laid him? They say, Lord, come and see. They're going to the tomb. They take Jesus to the tomb. All of the crowds are following. All of the crowds are heading to the gravesite. It makes me think of how we all too are heading to that place. I heard a good preacher say this once, but 10 out of 10 people, the statistics are in, 10 out of 10 people are heading to the tomb. And on our way to the grave, on our way to the tomb, the only thing that truly matters is your relationship with Jesus. Have you been reconciled with him? Have you been raised to life? Here's the other thing. We all have tombs in our own lives. There's things I imagine that most of us have gone through that we've buried deep within right? We sealed, we sealed that tomb. It's dead. It's painful. It's confusing. It's hard. I don't want to go there. But Jesus is here this morning saying, take me to the tomb. Take me to those spots in your guys' life that are dead, those spots that are numb, those spots that are confusing that you've just kind of buried deep beneath. He says, take me to those places. I'm going to speak life to them. He says, Take me to this place. Christ wants to come speak life to those dead places. Do you believe this this morning? Then Jesus said, see how, or then they said, the Jews said that, see how he loved them. And moving on from there, verse 38 through 40. Then Jesus again growing, this emotion's coming in himself. He gets to the tomb. He came to the place of the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And before we get into Jesus speaking, what he, what he calls into the tomb, I wanna, I wanna see one thing that he says. He gives us a command. He gives us a command to them. Jesus had the power to move the stone himself. He, 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 in just a few seconds, is going to raise a dead man to life. He surely had the power to move the stone, yet he had a command for these people here. You guys roll away the stone. And he has a command for us today too, before he speaks life into those areas of our life, before he speaks life into the dead parts maybe of our soul, until he speaks life. If you haven't come to know Jesus into your life, you got to roll away that stone. Areas that you've been keeping God at bay, keeping others at bay, roll away that stone that God may speak life into there. <laughs> Look at what Martha, a lot, a lot of us have the same reaction as Martha. Martha, still at the time, she's struggling in her belief. Lord, by this time, there's a, there's a stench for he has been dead four days. Don't do this now, but look this up. If you have a King James version, some of you guys might have that. It literally is translated, he stinketh. And I, I read that and I thought that was hilarious. He stinketh. Makes me think of going to, to uh, winter camp with the high school teenage boys. <laughs> he says, 
He says, Lord, by this time there's a, sten- a stench for he has been dead four days. There's, it's gonna be an ugly sight in there, Lord, if you open up this tomb. If we open up this tomb, it's, it's gonna be bad. It's gonna be ugly. There's rotting, there's decaying. It's not gonna be, it's not gonna be good for anybody. Her, um, her unbelief is still there. And a lot of us can have the same thing in life. We have ugliness inside of our hearts, stuff that we don't want anyone else to know, stuff that we're trying to block God out from. And he says, he says we say it's ugly. It's the things that I've said, the things that I've done, even as being a Christian, it's ugly. But we need to roll away that stone that God can speak. To all the Marthas out there this morning, Jesus says that. He says this friendly reminder he says, oh, Martha, did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And I just imagine him, I don't know for sure, but I imagine him just saying this oh so gently. There's this commotion that's like this, this, this climax of the story. Jesus is about to do the miraculous. And then Martha comes in unbelief and says this. And I imagine him ever so calmly reminding her, Martha, did I, did I not tell you? Reminder, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God and all of the Marthas out here today and in Martha, you know, in my own heart, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So here we go, 41 through 44, Jesus is gonna say a prayer. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. And so the pinnacle of the story, the same voice, the same voice that spoke galaxies into existence, told the stars where to go, hung the moon in place, hung the stars into place that orchestrated all of life by his word, all things held together, that same word. That same voice spoke with a thunderous shout. I imagine it like Pastor Bonds when he's up here preaching. Lazarus, come out, come forth, right? And he, and he says this. And I imagine like there's this anticipation, everybody's looking and you just start hearing this rattling, right? You start hearing this commotion. And then all of a sudden, Lazarus, the dead man comes to life. What a, what a beautiful story. There's a, there was a, something that I had read, an old timer, uh, a distant, um, there was a, a teaching going on and there was a skeptic that whenever, he was, whenever this part was read, he said, well, why did he have to say his name, Lazarus? And there was an old saint in the back that said, well, if he wouldn't have specified Lazarus, he said, everyone in that tomb would have come running out of there. <laughs> and that's the truth, you guys. Everyone in the tomb at someday will come running out of there. The same shout the same voice, right? First Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise. That's an amazing truth. That voice is gonna raise everybody, anybody in Christ that has people that are missing at those, those tables in Christ, that voice is gonna raise them. We'll be, we'll be reunited with them. And for those of us who... Who, who, who have experienced that voice that called us to life. But we're wrestling with some things that, that have happened in the past and God's untangling these things. And that hope so far and my hope today is that, that all of that comes into the present reality. 
right? That Jesus is the resurrection. He's the life. He's present here today amongst us. And that, and that ultimately he's the one that speaks dead things to life. Amen. 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 God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken. When I can't see, when I can't trace his hand, I must trust his heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we look to you, God, for life. God, we look to you for belief, God. We look to you um, as we hear your voice, God, in those certain areas of our life, God, that we have buried, that we have that, that stone sealed away, God. And pray that we would be obedient to your command, that we would roll away the stone and that we would hear your voice speak to our hearts, God. And if you have spoken to our hearts this morning, God, I pray that we would, we would just respond. We would respond to the life-giving words that you've given us today, God, that we can hold on to in the midst of this holiday season as we look to Christmas, God, your son that came to die for the sins of the world, your sin to die for my sins personally, God. We thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.